The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Wall Street gets its first crack at Friday's blowout March jobs report after an extended holiday weekend. Dow futures, they are up. And division among Democrats about how exactly to pay for President Biden's $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan as some GOP leaders call for it to be cut by more than half. And the fallout continues over Georgia's new controversial voting laws. Now companies are facing pressure to take sides on this hot button issue. Also, the federal government taking action over those 15 million botched COVID-19 vaccine doses as J&J sticks to its 100 million dose goal by the end of next month. And the King of Monsters delivering a much-needed jolt to what's been a kind of struggling box office amid the pandemic. It is Monday, April 5th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day on this second day of the second quarter. Stock futures, they're up across the board. We see right here the Dow poised to pop just about 200 points at the open right about now. Now, Wall Street coming off an extended holiday weekend after the S&P ticked above 4,000 for the very first time ever on Thursday, notching its 16th record close of the year. Again, we're in the second day of the second quarter. Today is also the first day investors will have the opportunity to react to that blowout March jobs report that came out on Friday. Employers adding 916,000 new jobs last month. That's the highest level since August. And economists, they were only looking for a number closer to 675,000. The unemployment rate had also ticked down to about 6%. That was in line with estimates. Now to some of this morning's other top stories. Hedge funds are evaluating their banking relationships after last week's fire sale by Arkego's Capital Management. That hedge fund's meltdown forced billions of dollars of losses onto the likes of Nomura and Credit Suisse. According to the Financial Times, the head of one London-based hedge fund said the firm had initiated an internal process to evaluate its prime broking relationships. Another firm telling the FT that in the wake of the scandal, it's been fielding some questions from investors about which banks it's exposed to adding they would not feel comfortable if that list included some of the names that were linked to Arkegos. All right, back to the Suez Canal. Authorities now say they've cleared the massive traffic backlog after a massive container ship ran aground in that canal just over a week ago. More than 400 vessels were waiting on the northern and the southern ends of that 120-mile-long waterway, all of them delayed for more than six days while crews worked to free the nearly quarter-mile-long container ship that was stuck, the Ever Given. You're seeing it right there. And U.S. corporations are facing growing pressure and threats of boycotts to publicly oppose Georgia's new controversial voting laws. Opposition to the Republican-backed measure grew Friday when Major League Baseball said it would no longer hold the 2021 All-Star Game in Atlanta this summer. This coming as nearly 200 companies from HP and Dow to Under Armour say 
They are opposed to proposals that threaten to restrict voting access in dozens of states. All right, turning our attention back to the markets, stocks looking to build on Friday's blockbuster jobs report and that strong start to April, with the S&P holding above that 4,000 mark. But your next guest says global diversification is key when looking at heightened valuations here in the U.S. For more, I'm joined by Dana Diara, co-chief investment officer at InvestNet. Dana, thanks for being here. Hi, Frank. Thanks for having me. So, Dana, we're getting a lot of data coming at us right now. This morning, the 10 years above 1.7. We also saw that blowout jobs report. What are we seeing right now? Are we seeing a trend towards inflation or is this just the recovery happening as it should and things ticking up as they should be? Yeah, it's a great question. And absolutely, we're seeing a lot of indicators up. We actually consumer confidence also up, not even it's both uh, expectations and um, survey around what people feel about their present circumstances. That's all up. Purchasing managers index is up globally, in fact. Um, and of course, we have all of those COVID checks now hitting everybody's pocketbook. So I think, um, you know, expectation of a retail surge wouldn't be out of the realm. So definitely seeing a lot of um, positive indicators. Obviously, the question is, as you put it, you know, is this inflationary or, you know, is this just growth? And are we are we having this the recovery that we, we were hoping for? Right. As opposed to the square root. So, you know, and, and you'll see differing uh, views on this, but I think that um, certainly there is a, a good aspect of this that is growth in the economy. Um, there are some possible setbacks. Obviously, we could see uh, spikes in COVID variants could be a problem. Um, but so far, so good, I think, on the economic front. You know, Dan, I want to ask you another question. Um, you know, last quarter, we saw tech really lag. But we saw things like Dow Transports up about, you know, 16 percent and the Russell up about 12 percent. Those are definitely the outperformers. What does that say about the thought of this being a recovery versus just inflation? Yeah, I mean, certainly value stocks. And so we're seeing financials, industrials, energy doing well right now. Uh, value stocks, which have been just pummeled for, for several years now, obviously making a comeback. And that's typical in a recovery. Value tends to do well in a recovery. Um, you know, it's it's hit or miss in terms of whether value performs well, um, you know, when markets are down. And obviously uh, last year with the, you know, con- conflation of just obviously the the fact that you had um, people at home and tech stocks, of course, were just well situated for that situation. So, um, you know, it's not surprising now we're finally seeing that rotation to value. Will it continue? Um, you know, do we expect that the S&P will stay as broad as, as it is right now. I think certainly for a time, I think the, the underlying premise for tech stocks, though, is, is still very good, right? At the end of the day, these, these companies are, are well positioned. This is not, you know, tech bubble where you had a lot of companies that really didn't have a good uh, thesis, right, for um, performance. I think this, it, it is different in this case, but I would expect the S&P uh, performance to stay broad. I would expect values, value stocks, cyclicals to do well, at least for a time. All right, Dan, before we let you go, because we are running out of time, speaking of uh, someone's thesis, I'm curious how your thesis or might be changed by corporate taxes being raised to 28 percent. I know that you're keeping a close eye on just tax policy and how it might impact the markets. Yeah, no, certainly there's going to be winners and losers as we move forward if that happens. And of course, there's other um, parts of that plan, what, what, what will happen with tax rates for um, corporations globally. So it, it certainly looks like there's uh, some some headwinds there for companies in terms of just, 
you know, some of those plans. I think also that, you know, as, as we get into the year, um, we're, we're certainly obviously going to have our work cut out for us to see what happens with this uh, tax increase. Um, I don't think it's the only one that we're going to see. I think really we're seeing uh, the Biden administration split up the tax increase uh, and, and infrastructure bill so that, you know, as we move forward, we may see also those personal income tax, uh, you know, proposals come back on the table as well. So definitely going to be winners and losers, but it's really very early in the game to see where we're going to end up on this. All right, Dana DR, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Thank now you. turning our attention to Washington. This week, the Biden administration is pushing hard to sell his infrastructure jobs plan with Republicans questioning not only the tax increase to pay for it, but what's actually in that bill. Tracy Pott, she joins us now and she's live with much more. Good morning, Tracy. Frank, good morning. The push begins today with Vice President Harris back home in California. She's got a listening session on this in Oakland tomorrow in Chicago, talking jobs and infrastructure. Their game plan is to get the public behind it to get Washington moving. Republicans are hinting they might support President Biden's infrastructure plan if he sticks with roads, bridges, broadband and gets rid of the rest. You've got a, an easy bipartisan win here if you'll keep this package narrowly focused on infrastructure. And nix the 28% corporate tax increase. The worst way to pay for it is to tax job creators. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says the administration is open to ideas to pay for the $2.2 trillion plan, but they so think much. it's fair They're to tax big business. As we've seen corporations paying zero. Uh, we're just asking corporations to pay their fair share. The idea is to create jobs in an economy devastated by COVID. Health experts now disagree whether the U.S. is on the edge of another surge. We will see in the next two weeks the highest number of cases reported globally uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. I think that there's enough immunity in the population that you're not going to see a true fourth wave of infection. The answer could come as Americans return from spring break. And we're already seeing the numbers continue to go up 8% more cases last week over the week before. And Frank, that was before a lot of people went on spring break. All right, Tracy Potts with the very latest from Washington. Thank you. All right, when we come back on Worldwide Exchange, it's the end of an error for one major mobile phone maker after dominating the market more than a decade ago. Plus, Tesla reporting its first quarter production numbers for 2021. What Wall Street has to say about it next. And later, Tim Cook speaks out over Facebook's privacy fight with CNBC contributor Kara Swisher. Highlights from that one-on-one exchange and much, much more coming up when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. 
And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. All right, welcome back. Time for this morning's Big Money Movers. We're going to kick things off with Tesla shares up almost 7% after the company reported it produced more than 180,000 and delivered nearly 184,000 vehicles in the first quarter of this year. Analysts, they were only expecting it to deliver right around 168,000, according to FactSet. All the electric vehicles it produced were Model 3 sedans and Model Y crossovers, with Model X and Model S production dropping down to zero. Samsung Electronics says it likely saw a 45% jump in profit for its most recent quarter on robust sales of smartphones, TVs, and home appliances. Though the electronics giant did add that chip sales remain a trouble spot after the company was forced to shut down its U.S. plant due to weather that would mark Samsung's highest operating income level for the first quarter since 2018. The company is scheduled to announce preliminary first quarter results on Wednesday. And South Korea's uh, LG Electronics will wind down its loss-making mobile division after failing to find a buyer. It's a move set to make it the first major smartphone brand to completely withdraw from the market. LG is currently the number three brand here in North America. Its decision to pull out will leave its 10% per share of the smartphone market here in North America divvied up between Samsung and Apple. LG's smartphone division has logged nearly six years of losses, totaling some $4.5 billion dollars. The move, however, will allow it to focus on growth areas from electric vehicle components to connected devices and to smart homes. Shares down about 2.5% this morning. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Forget paying at the pump. How about sticker shock at the dealership? While General Motors thinks people are ready to shell out big bucks for its new electric Hummer SUV. Today's big number. billion. That's how much more money needs to be spent upgrading the electrical grids in the U.S. and Europe by 2040, according to Morgan Stanley. This is on top of existing investment plans and would translate to an 11% increase in the overall market. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The pandemic and civil unrest over the past year have highlighted an economic disparity that's widening in this country and around the world. Education, it may not be the great equalizer it once was as a large percentage of minorities. They graduate college without a job or in debt. Your next guest says venture capital could play a role in helping to narrow the wealth and skills gap in those communities. Nasir Kadri is founder and managing partner at Zeal Capital. Nasir, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. Great to be with you. So, Nasir, uh, Zeal Capital, we know you recently started a $50 million fund backed by PayPal. Before we get into what your, your company does, can you kind of explain to us how diversity and inclusion, it fits into tech investing and also in the future of work? That's a great question. The truth is, if, if entrepreneurs are going to be the change makers, the change agents of our country, then it has to include everyone. So with our inclusive investing strategy, we're proactively sourcing and investing and helping scale high growth entrepreneurs who are directly um, building solutions that are bridging our country's wealth and skills gap. And technology, to your point, can, can be can level the playing field. 
um, as we as we've seen over over time in, across all sectors. So when we look at the future of work, we all understand the workplace is changing by force through the pandemic, but it may also change in some other ways as we all learn to work differently. Um, something that really uh, caught my eye is that in the president's two point three trillion dollar infrastructure bill, it included more than half a trillion to train home health care workers, money for small businesses, also home money for residential construction. Um, how will this infusion of capital in all these areas, along with roads and bridges, how will that impact the future of work? That's a great question. So effectively, the infrastructure bill is a jobs bill, and it will essentially allow to support new infrastructure, new resources, especially as we think about uh, upskilling and reskilling the American workforce. Now, uh, last week, we saw that we added 900, just north of 900,000 jobs, 6, 6% unemployment, but still 30, per, 30 million plus workers remain un and underemployed. And so ensuring that uh, all workers, all American workers from manufacturing, blue collar, white collar jobs, um, have the necessary resources to remain competitive in today and tomorrow's workforce. All right. Can you tell us a little bit more about Zeal Capital? Uh, what kind of companies are you looking to invest in and why is it important to really focus on diversity and inclusion when you're doing tech investing? Absolutely. So today, Zeal Capital Partners serves as a Washington, D.C. base. Inclusive, we point ourselves as an inclusive investment vehicle, laser focus on backing diverse management teams um, that are rethinking the building blocks of wealth from education to employment to financial wellness that we believe turbocharges economic, economic mobility. And we do this through two, through two sectors, financial technology and the future of work sector, as you alluded to. And for us, it's, it's really, we spent the past two years pre-pandemic market mapping these, uh, these two sectors. And we, we noticed from a market opportunity that continues to be a great deal of early stage high growth companies um, all the way from rethinking um, alternative pathways to education to new training and skill development programs to credit access expansion to you know, infrastructure for new and small businesses. And so we're super excited to be a, a, a sector specific just given our domain operating and investment acumen to, to really source, invest and help scale early stage businesses that we're not just investing in people, but solutions as well. And so but the idea also to your point around DNI is that great entrepreneurs exist everywhere. And so we're, our inclusive investing strategy allows us to widen our lens and ensure that we're, that more entrepreneurs, particularly underrepresented entrepreneurs, women-led entrepreneurs are getting a fair swing of the plate at capital so they can scale their businesses um, and see and maximize their full potential. Yeah, Nasir, some really eye-popping numbers you're bringing to our attention. Uh, $4.4 trillion in untapped economic opportunity due to the underinvestment in early-stage companies that are led by women or people of color. Uh, great work that you're doing. Thanks for joining us this morning, Nasir Kadri of Zeal Capital. We appreciate it. All right, now turning our attention to this morning's other top stories, NBC's Philip Mena. He's in New York with the very latest. Philip, how was your weekend? Ah, my weekend was great, Frank. Thanks for asking. Good morning, everybody. Uh, the race is on to prevent a disaster in Florida. A wastewater reservoir south of Tampa is threatening to burst, potentially letting loose millions of gallons of salt water that is mixed with nitrogen and ammonia. Families in at least 300 homes have been ordered to evacuate. Officials warn that if the structure collapses, catastrophic flooding could hit in just a matter of minutes. Crews are working to move water out of the reservoir as quickly as possible, but say they are still in a critical phase. 
A new champion has been crowned in women's college basketball. Stanford set the tone early against Arizona, going on a 10-0 run early in the game. But the upset-minded Wildcats would not go away. Arizona was down seven at the half and closed the gap with an offensive explosion to close out the third. Now, Stanford had beaten Arizona twice during the regular season by double digits. But this one was for the title, and it came down to the last shot. It into McDonald. Five seconds left. McDonald, two seconds. McDonald traps. Heaves. Can't hit. That is it. Stanford survives again in 2021. Gathering with their championship trophy, the first title for the Stanford season from this group who showed incredible resilience all season long displaced from their home the pac-12 women's player of the year just could not get it to go stanford survives and wins the title 54 to 53 what a game the cardinal claimed their first championship since 1992 and finally a factory sealed copy of a nintendo super mario brothers game just set an auction record of a whopping six hundred and sixty thousand dollars that is the most ever for a video game. The limited edition game was initially purchased in 1986. And then earlier this year, Frank, somebody discovered it in their desk drawer. Said, hey, why don't I put this up for auction and look what it fetched. Wow. Over half a million dollars. Wow. You know, first and foremost, congratulations to the ladies from Stanford. Great win for them. Yep. Uh, but also a great win for pop culture. I mean, uh, an original Super Mario Brothers game. I don't know how many of those still exist. I mean, when they first came out, they were like hotcakes. Yeah, not too many. People ripped it open right away. And then eventually, remember, you're doing that Nintendo blow to get it working, you know? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Philip Meadow, we appreciate also that, you know, you and I a little nostalgia on the video games. That's Much right. Much different world these days. Yes, yeah, sure right. is. Still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, infrastructure winners and losers in President Biden's more than $2 trillion economic package. Thompson Research Group's Catherine Thompson. She's here. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, if you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And we will be right back. Stay with us. Stocks looking to build on the back of that blowout jobs report for March with the S&P 500 pushing into record territory. Futures are higher. Apple CEO Tim Cook firing the latest shots in his company's feud with Facebook over user privacy. His new comments out just moments ago. And the red-hot real estate market creating some fierce competition, not just for buyers, but for the millions of agents looking to capitalize on the limited number of homes that are up for grabs. It is Monday, April 5th, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Big Papa, Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and your investments look right now as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. hour. All the futures in the green. Where we're at right now, the Dow looks like it's poised to pop just about 200 points at the open. Now, this coming after a long holiday weekend for the markets and on the back of Friday's blowout March jobs report. Employers adding 916,000 new jobs last month. The unemployment rate ticking down to 6%. All right. Turning our attention to some of your morning's other top stories. Johnson and Johnson is assuming full control of the Baltimore pharmaceutical plant where 15 million of the company's COVID vaccines were recently spoiled. 
The Biden administration stepping in to help facilitate that shift after workers at the facility run by Emergent Biosolutions accidentally mixed ingredients for the J&J treatment for the, with those with the AstraZeneca vaccine. AstraZeneca says it's moving production out of that facility to another location. Johnson & Johnson is reiterating its goal of delivering 100 million doses of its vaccine by the end of May. You see right now Johnson Johnson flattened after hours trading. So amid mounting pressure on U.S. corporations to publicly oppose controversial voting laws across the country, a new report says companies gave over 500, uh, excuse me, $50 million in donations to lawmakers who have pushed for the restrictions, according to the Associated Press. Citing a new report by the watchdog group Public Citizen, AT&T was the most prolific, donating over $800,000 since 2015 to authors of proposed restrictions. The report says other top donors during that same period include CNBC's parent company Comcast, Philip Morris, United Health, Walmart, Verizon, General Motors, and Pfizer. Delta Airlines being forced to cancel about 100 flights yesterday as a result of staff shortages. The company saying in a statement it was juggling issues, including some employees having adverse side effects from their COVID-19 vaccinations. Delta also revealing it has opened up middle seats a month earlier than expected in order to carry more passengers. Also, Apple CEO Tim Cook speaking out amid the continued feud between his company and Facebook over privacy controls. Speaking with CNBC contributor Kara Swisher in a new podcast released just a short time ago, Cook was asked about the backlash from Facebook over Apple's upcoming operating software changes, forcing all apps to ask user permission before tracking them. Cook says all his company is doing is giving the user the choice whether to be tracked or not to be tracked, and that he's shocked there's been pushback on this to this degree. Kara Swish will have more in her conversation with Tim Cook coming up on Squawk Alley at 11 a.m. Eastern. Well, to D.C. and President Biden's infrastructure plan, now drawing criticism from the right and from the left, underscoring a difficult world ahead for that $2.0 trillion package. Republicans question the size and the scope of that proposal, the corporate tax hike proposed to pay for it, and the White House's commitment to bipartisanship. When people think about infrastructure, they're thinking about roads, bridges, ports, and airports. That's a very small part of what they're calling an infrastructure package that does so much more than infrastructure that uh, I, I understand the dynamic of taking a popular title and put it wrapping around a big bill that it's a fairly small percentage of, but it's the difference in whether you'd have a bipartisan easy win or a very partisan broad-based uh, two and a quarter trillion dollar package. Also, some Democrats, they're skeptical about hiking the corporate tax rate. They favor borrowing to pay for the investments or raising the gas tax instead. So we're going to get much more into this with Catherine Thompson, the CEO of the Thompson Research Group. Catherine, thanks for being here. Thanks for waking up early yes. with us. We appreciate it. I could be on the with you, Frank. So I know that this infrastructure bill came a lot sooner than you actually expected and this also created a situation where a, a tax hike proposal came a lot earlier than a lot of people expected. Let's say that this bill gets pared down to just the traditional infrastructure. Can we first talk about the stocks and the companies that you see benefiting? Yeah, uh, well, before every highway builder jumps with self-sifted joy that all of this is going to be towards, you know, roads and bridges, just as you said in the previous clip, really only about 6% will. Um, that said, even when you break down some of the subsectors, even as for building out of electric vehicle stations, which is going to be uh, 175 of that, or building out uh, more robust facilities for at-home care, that's going to be 
you know, another 400 billion. Uh, with the names that are going to benefit either way are still going to go right back to those heavy material names. So whether it's a wind farm or it's um, a healthcare facility, you got to have rocks. So some of those names would be Vulcan Materials, Martin Marietta, Summit Materials, and U.S. Concrete. Um, the bigger names, uh, Summit and, and uh, excuse me, Vulcan and Martin could, could be outsized builders, but Summit is located in a lot of cities where you're having a lot of people leave and move to because of um, secondary cities and better qualities of life, like Salt Lake City, of which Summit has a really big um, presence there. Um, another unlikely one to think about, Frank, are building product distributors, because when you dig into this, yes, some of it isn't traditional roads and bridges that we would think about, but some of them are building out buildings and you buy building products through distribution. Um, and one of those names that you get both on the heavy side, so with water infrastructure, but also on some of the commercial um, elements that's, that touch on this infrastructure bill is Ferguson, ticker symbol FBRG. That could be in addition to Beacon and uh, Builders First Source, but Ferguson is gonna be one of size that would hit more the, the bases in terms of benefiting from infrastructure bill. You know, Catherine, I know that uh, your company, Thompson Research Group, you have your construction industrials conference coming up and you're going to devote one entire day to infrastructure. So let's kind of look beyond just what like, I like to call traditional infrastructure, roads and bridges. Senator Blunt seems to call it the same thing. Um, as we see it expand to things like renewable energy, charging stations and things like that, are there other stocks that you see benefiting or other sectors you see benefiting as a result of that? Yeah, one of them, um, once again, this is a building product uh, manufacturer called Owens Corning, ticker symbol is OC. And with that, most people think about Pink Panther with insulation uh, or the roofing products, but they're actually one of the largest global manufacturers of composites and specifically composites used in, uh, for wind blades and wind energy. So that's going to be one of those unlikely names that's going to see a massive benefit from just what we're already seeing in residential, but they'll actually get an additional kicker with alternative energy with their composite segment, which is a good third of their overall revenues. Um, you're also going to have an increase in inspection and services. Um, uh, APG is a, a, a newer public company that will benefit from that, um, called API Group, the ticker symbol is APG. And another company along with that line, just as you think about energy efficiency and managing buildings, is M4, ticker symbol is EME. All right, Catherine Thompson from Thompson Research Group. We appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Frank. All right, turning now to the real estate market. Any out, anyone out there house hunting right now, they know it's tough. With the record low number of homes for sale, it's making the competition pretty fierce. And while it may be very frustrating for buyers, imagine the competition among millions of real estate agents with about twice as many of them now as there are listings. So what's it like on the ground? CNBC's Diana Olick has more. At a condominium in Boston last weekend, potential buyers were lining up outside. This is gorgeous. And lamenting the competition inside. Have you guys had a lot of people come through today? We have. For real estate agent Jeff Strobeck, it may be an easy sell, but finding listings in the leanest market ever... There's not a magic bullet for it. ...has been incredibly tough. For me, it's, hey, this house in your neighborhood sold uh, with 11 offers on it, or it sold X amount over asking, um, and I think we can do that with your house, too. 
There were just about 1 million homes for sale at the end of February, according to the National Association of Realtors. That's the leanest supply on record. And there are now nearly 2 million working real estate agents, as more got into the business during the pandemic. Frankly, this is this is not the time for amateurs. This is this is the big leagues here. Welcome, come on in. Dana Bull showed a high-end home just outside Boston last weekend. In over a decade, she's never seen as tight a market as this one. We're pulling out all the stops in terms of mailers, in terms of getting on social media. Supply has been leanest on the low end, but now the higher end is slimming too. It kind of feels like a game of, of Tetris where we're looking at the whole playing board and we're trying to place people and strategically move people around in a way that bets, best fits their lifestyle. That condo in Boston already sold for well over asking price with multiple offers. And while this is the time of year traditionally when most new listings come on the market, we're just not seeing it. 20% fewer homes were listed for sale this March compared with a year ago, Frank. Yeah, Diana. Uh, great reporting, Diana. Um, a question that just kind of pops to mind, given how high home prices are right now, why aren't more sellers taking advantage and listing their homes without being prompted by agents? Well, because they're afraid they won't be able to find or afford anything else to buy. Also, remember, while we have vaccines coming through the system and we're feeling better about the economy now, people still don't want other people walking through their houses. They're a little worried about having an open house, having seller, uh, buyers come through. So they don't want to go through that process right now. But again, it's really what's affordable out there for them to buy or even to rent because the rental market is getting very pricey as well, Frank. Yeah, I mean, things are pricey all around. Um, another question. Are real estate agents getting hurt by this new trend of iBuyers, companies that kind of go in and buy homes for cash and then fix them up and then flip them to sellers? I don't know about you, but I get tons of text messages like people offering to buy my house. I get a lot of that. Yeah, it's not just even the iBuyers. They are a very small share of the market right now, but they are growing. And some of them are actually real estate companies like Redfin, where they have agents involved. But there is increasing competition among larger investors, especially in large markets like Houston. We're seeing a growing share of investors in this market because they know that the single family rental market, which they're then going to turn those homes into, is incredibly lucrative right now. So more competition definitely among investors who are always all cash. And that's tough competition. All right, Diana, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, how one state is teaming up with big tech on a vaccine passport and a bid to get life just a little closer to normal. But first, as we had to break, some of your other top stories. Carl Icahn reportedly naming a former G executive to become the CEO and CIO of his firm, Icahn Enterprises. According to the Wall Street Journal, R.S. Kikian, Kikian, who served as GE's chief investment officer until 2019, begins his new role starting today. General Motors finally unveiling its all-electric Hummer over the weekend. It's set to go on sale in 2023 with a price that will top $110,000. This is the brand's first reboot since being mothballed more than 10 years ago. And Godzilla versus King Kong proving to be the king of the box office this weekend. The monster fight film, which also streamed on HBO Max, pulled in more than $32 million domestically, the biggest debut by a movie amid the ongoing pandemic. We're back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The CDC relaxing, relaxing its travel guidance for Americans who have received the COVID-19 vaccine. The department now says that vaccinated people can travel both domestically and internationally as long as they wear protective equipment like face coverings. 
This comes as the U.S. surpassed a new record number of vaccinations, administering over 4 million doses on Saturday. To date, more than 23 percent of Americans over the age of 18 have been fully vaccinated. In New York, 33 percent of the population has received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. New York State also rolling out its own version of the vaccine passport in partnership with IBM for recently reopened event venues to use. This was the first weekend that venues could reopen at a third of capacity. For more on what the vaccine passport could do for venues, I'm joined by Catherine Wild, president and CEO of the Partnership for New York City. Good morning, Catherine. Thank you so much for being here. A really exciting development here to have these vaccine passports uh, offered. Thank you, Frank. And absolutely, it's exciting. You know, fewer than 10% of Manhattan's 1 million office workers are back. Our travel and tourism industries are still way down. Our hotels are half empty. So it really makes a difference that New York State has come up with the Excelsior Pass, which will validate by your phone the fact that you had a full vaccination. And that's a much better system. You know, these are the CDC paper cards that are easy for anybody to print and not a safe way to regulate. So this is a very important breakthrough using technology and using the fact that we are uh, we, we have the ability to really validate through the State Department of Health that you are vaccine. So, Catherine, I got to ask, um, obviously, technology is a great way to aggregate information. But that information, like you mentioned, is out there. People have cards or somebody can say that they're vaccinated. Um, a lot of data to kind of kind of, uh, you know, absorb, I guess, uh, cases on the rise in recent days while vaccine rollouts happening. Just a lot to think about before a night out. Just kind of simply, what does this passport do? What does it provide that will everybody can, I guess, agree on that could make us all feel comfortable? Like we all know what a green light means. We all know what a red light means. What does this passport provide that gives us that same kind of, you know, ubiquity and also comfort? Well, again, the CDC has a record of everyone who's gotten a vaccine, the number of your dose, the source of your dose, all the specifics. They, they keep that record. They can share that record only with the State Department of Health. In turn, in New York State, the State Department of Health is not going to share your information. All they're going to do is validate that you have had the proper dosage of the vaccine and, on, and they know what date you had it. So this is, this is an important breakthrough. I mean, many people don't realize we're probably going to have booster shots for this vaccine for the rest of our lives. So a single card is not going to do the trick. It's going to have to be updated. But the privacy is maintained through an IBM blockchain system. There's no question of releasing health data uh, to, uh, to any sources. So this is a very secure system. And it will be able to sit on top of other systems. We have, for example, for a number of years, had a private company, Clear, that's New York-based, that has had a TSA pass so that you can get expedited clearance when you go into the uh, into an airport to get on an airplane. That's a, the same idea. It's uh, your ID plus your health pass. The, the Excelsior pass could sit on top of those kind of interventions so that you would carry one ID, all, right, all in your phone. Again, a really exciting yes. development. Um, I'm glad you addressed the privacy concerns. That was going to be my other question. We're, we have to get going in just a second. But before we let you go, um, which industry or which business do you see benefiting the most from these vaccine passports, at least immediately? 
Well, across the board, I think everybody's going to benefit. The first thing we want to do is get the office workers back in the buildings. And to do that, you basically have to have a universal pass so that you can, you're not just going with the system that's health check in your office. You've got a universal ability to move around the city. That's the city's competitive advantage that we're able to navigate it. The vaccine pass is going to be able to do that. So we're excited to have it available. All right, Catherine Wild, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Stocks set to kick off the new trading week with some strong gains. Advisors Capital's Joanne Feeney, she lays out the name she sees finding opportunity in. And if you haven't already subscribed to our podcast, you should go, go ahead and do it. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or Brian Sullivan, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And April is Financial Literacy Month. CNBC is committed to sharing messages from business and thought leaders about the importance of financial education. Here's NASDAQ President and CEO Adina Friedman on the importance of a strong economy. Learning how to be successful personally and professionally and leveraging the financial education that's available is a big part of what makes our economy so strong. And the financial industry has really done their part to provide a lot of educational opportunities. So we are excited to see more and more people get involved in finance, but also get involved in opening businesses and making their lives a success through finance. All right, welcome back. Turning our attention back to the markets, futures pointing to strong gains to kick off the trading week. And my next guest says we should expect a macro recovery despite the recent rise in COVID-19 cases globally. Joining me now is Advisors Capital Management Partner, Joanne Feeney. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Frank. So, Joanne, we are getting a lot of kind of mixed data. Uh, We just showed uh, some stats earlier where 23 percent of people here in the U.S. have gotten at least a dose. But at the same time, cases are kind of back up to those August, September levels that had us very concerned. What does that mean for the recovery on a macro level? And where do you see what sector do you see showing that recovery first if it is going to happen? Well, Frank, you know, clearly it's uh, it's a, a tough thing for folks that are suffering from covid. Um, and we are seeing cases rise, not just in the U.S., but uh, Europe and Asia as well and really globally. And, and that is a concern. In the U.S., though, we do have an advantage, a very large advantage, which is the number of vaccinations taking place. And that number is accelerating. Uh, so, you know, in the U.S., it's sort of a race between the vaccine and the, and, the, and the coronavirus itself. But, you know, because we're vaccinating so many people, right, we're going to come out of this sooner than elsewhere. So when we look at the macro recovery, what we're going to see, and we're already seeing it, is the U.S. really lead the world. We do expect the global macro recovery to be a tailwind later on. But right now, it's pretty clear the U.S. is going to come out of this first. We're seeing you know, a lot of consumer savings pent up, waiting to be spent. It's starting to come back. And we're seeing, for example, the trade deficit expand uh, because the U.S. consumer is buying more. So that's a natural outcome, and it's actually a sign that the U.S. is recovering more quickly. So yes, it's very concerning that cases are rising, particularly globally, but here in the U.S., the vaccination uh, pace is is really uh, ultimately going to win that race. So we could have some rough sledding ahead for the next few weeks, but consumers do have a lot of savings they're sitting on and they're starting to spend it already. In terms of sectors, Frank, you asked, you know, several sectors are already seeing an uplift, obviously, But, you know, look at the consumer spaces, look at the go back to traveling spaces, a company like Casey, people on the road stopping in at the convenience store, Um, TJ Maxx, people are going to want to go out and they're going to want to start shopping again. So consumer spending oriented sectors are really going to see a lift. 
But of course, as I like to say, don't forget about tech. Even though some of them are expensive, there's an awful lot that are still cheap here and are going to get an extra boost from the infrastructure plan whenever that comes along. And that will take some time. Yeah, a lot of uh, government stimulus, whether it goes directly to consumers or possibly to industry that could be coming up. Um, as, as we look in our current environment, a lot of shifting and, and investing. How important are stocks that pay out dividends right now? And are there any sectors that you're particularly targeting for dividend plays? You know, Frank, it really depends on on the investor, right? We have clients who are looking more towards future and so appreciation. We also have clients who are in their retirement phase and they want to really have a portfolio set up for them that delivers some yield. Um, so, you know, what we do uh, for clients is build portfolios of individual stocks. We customize them depending on the person's particular needs. So dividend opportunities now are, are really broadly spread. You can find good dividends in reopening plays like the banks, for example, insurance companies. But you can also find good dividends in some of those longer term technology plays. You know, Cisco, for example, is a good place to look. IBM. Uh, is an interesting play right now with a relatively new CEO and their efforts. Qualcomm you know, has seen its stock pull back and is right in the middle of the move to 5G. And if the infrastructure plan does pass, there's going to be a lot of spending on broadband. And you know, anybody involved in those wireless uh, infrastructure plays like a Qualcomm or a Corvo that doesn't pay a dividend, but Qualcomm does. So there are a lot of opportunities for the dividend play, both in reopening uh, and also in the longer-term tech plays. You know, Joanne, one thing I, I, they really caught my ear, you mentioned financials being one way to play for dividends, but just long-term, uh, as rates continue to rise, a lot of people are turning to financials. How do fintech stocks and fintech companies play into this? With the reopening, do you see people still leaning on fintech to make their, their buying and financial decisions, or do people just go back to the traditional banks? Oh, no, I think that fintech is really going to play an increasing role. We're even hearing some of the presidents of the Federal Reserve Banks talk about the importance uh, for conventional banks to build up their technologies, to make sure that they're ready for a new reality where more mobile banking is taking place. So, you know, companies like Encino is one we really like. Q2, which enables mobile banking for smaller banks, regional, and also starting to help some of the larger banks. So these aren't dividend plays, but they are really right in the middle of the change in the financial technology that's taking place. Joanne Pena, we got to leave it there. Thank you for your insight. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.